This is a one and all media podcast. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Bringing people far from God near to God. We believe in one truth that will be delivered in love and compassion. Connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. Today. Today. Today with Jeff Fines. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's the story of deliverance, and it's a story that we're going to finish here on the program today. Hi, my name's Aaron, and welcome to Today with Jeff Fines. In this episode, Pastor Jeff continues looking at these guys who were thrown into a fiery furnace because they refused to bow down to false gods. But it's something that we face today, and it's interesting to think about what false gods look like in our own lives. Let's join Pastor Jeff Vines as we finish this message together from the book of Daniel. It's hard turning 50, man. It's hard. And uh, I told the staff I wanted a birthday party. I just told them. Because we didn't celebrate birthdays in my home that much. So I've never really had a birthday party, you know, where you sit down, have cake and ice cream and all these gifts, right? And so I told the staff, I'm just telling you right now, when I turn 50, I want a party and I want a big one. <laughs> and I want to tell you, I, I'm serious. I, I told her, here's what I want. I want hamburgers and hot dogs on the grill. I want the whole staff to be in here. I'm not, I mean, I'm not expensive. I'm a cheap guy. I'm a Walmart guy. So hamburgers, hot dogs, what's that going to cost you? I want some potato chips. I want some uh, IBC root beer. I want a chocolate malt from the habit. And I want to be handed that malt when I walk in the door. And here was the hard one. Here was the difficult one. I want the band and I want Lance Beckford playing the drums because he's the only one that's going to be able to do this. Jeff Jansen on the bass and the keyboard. They brought in a guitarist and a vocalist. I said, I want them to perform my, fav- my favorite song. And I want them to perform it when I come in. It's by Rush. It's called Tom Sawyer. And they nailed it. And then they had a video of birthday wishes to me from pastors around the valley. Gene Apple sent a message. My friend Dudley Rutherford sent one in. Uh, my friend Anastasia Babunga, all the way from Rwanda, sent me a birthday message. I didn't ask for that. That was extra. Uh, Denver Chizanka said, I mean, it was a great birthday party because it was all about me. <laughs> they had putt-putt stuff set up all around the church building. We played softball. They had a basketball hoop. It was a day that will live in infamy. <laughs> now, here's the thing. There are things I enjoy. Aren't there things you enjoy? I mean, I enjoy golf. I enjoy my children. I enjoy walks and talks with my wife. I enjoy uh, putt-putt. I like uh, music. I love the band Rush. I like those things. But here's the thing. God gives us all these gifts that we have. But, but, God asks, would you give any of those up if I ask you? And there's only one answer for those who want to change the world. And the answer is yes. We hold loosely to the things of the world. We give them willingly to God if he requests them. The second one is, 
We give up self-determination. Let's say it on the count of three. One, two, three. We give up self-determination. Loud and with vigor. We give up self-determination. What does that mean? That means that you guys have plans for your lives, don't you? I mean, aren't there times that you, you hope and, and pray for what you will one day become? When I was a little boy, I wanted to be a fireman. Any fireman? Anybody want to be a fireman? Anybody want to be a policeman? The point is, we all have the things that we think we want to do. We do. That's okay. And God says you should count the cost. If you're going to build a city, know what you're doing. Make plans. If you don't plan, what do they say? If you, don't, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Make plans. God says, make your plans. Go ahead. As long as you understand, ultimately, it's God who decides where you end up. And that's giving up self-determination. Let me show you how this works in the passage. Daniel 3, 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. So here's what happens. They won't bow down. And when, you know, when there's thousands of people bowing down to the statue in the plains of Dura, if you don't do it, you're kind of going to be noticed. And especially if you work for the government and it's an edict that they passed and you're rebelling. So Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the palace and he basically says, you're in big trouble now. And you know what they say? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, we don't need to defend ourselves. Now, for a long time, I struggled with what, What's this narrative? What, what's the word here? What, what, what are we trying to learn? Well, the way it's written, folks, it's not like, it's not like uh, they said, you know, uh, we don't need to defend ourselves in the sake that, uh, because, because in your mind, in my mind, they do need to, right? Or they're going to go into the fiery furnace. But see, in their mind, Nebuchadnezzar's not the one in charge. The language is this, King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you're not the one who really determines whether we go into the furnace or not. So we're not going to waste our time trying to convince you that you shouldn't put us in there. And we're not going to waste our time telling you why we only serve one God. You know, you got us from Jerusalem and Samaria. So let's just get it over with. Do what you got to do. Oh man. King Nebuchadnezzar. Hey, by the way, do you remember anybody else who did something similar? Jesus before Pilate, Pilate said to Jesus, you're not answering my questions. Don't you realize I have the power to kill you or to save you? What did Jesus say? No, you don't. The only power you have, the only authority you have is that which has been given to you from heaven. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, you're not in charge. You think you're in charge, but God is. You think you brought us into captivity, but God did. So whatever God's going to do, God's going to do. And King Nebuchadnezzar is furious, the Bible says, because his authority has been challenged and he heats the furnace seven times hotter. And the guys who take Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to throw them into the furnace, those soldiers end up dying because it's so hot it's coming out of the mouth of the furnace. Now, here's the question. How would you have felt if you were Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and you've done the right thing and you're getting closer to the furnace and it dawns you and you, God's going to send me into this fire. Let me tell you how they would respond. I'm in verse 17 now. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. But they still are able to communicate their message, which is this. King Neb, our God is able to save us. We don't know the path God will choose for us. And we know we don't have any guarantee that the path God chooses will not require some hardship. Is God obligated to save us, O king, from the furnace? No. Do we hope that he will? Yeah. But even if he does not, we will willingly give up what we cannot keep in order to gain what we cannot lose. Is that you? Do you know what Jim Elliot did? For those in missions... He's like a hero, small h, not like Jesus, but he's a hero because of this. Before Jim Elliot, there was a time when Americans sent out missionaries. 
that they sent out the American misfits. In other words, if you can't make it in the U.S., we'll send you overseas. Here's some money, go. And only pastors, really. A lot of pastors and teachers went. But when Jim Elliott went, it sparked a movement. It made CEOs and entrepreneurs and, and people with strategic minds and strategic planning It fired a whole generation of missionaries up to go all over the world, and not just pastors and teachers, but mechanics and doctors and lawyers and uh, administrators. And all of a sudden, there was an evangelical explosion throughout the world because it dawned on everybody that the priesthood of all believers is actually real, that everybody has a gift to change the world, all because of what Jim Elliott did. You know, when I was in Africa, the man that impressed me the most was not a preacher. He was a mechanic. He worked at Chittimoyle Hospital. And I realized one day that if it wasn't for him, none of this work's going to happen. He's the one that kept the lights on. He's the one that kept the generators working, the mission vehicles on the road, keep the hospital up and running so that it can minister and have compassion to all of those who had no access to medical help. And I started to look at him. I said, man, here's a guy that left his home in Joplin, Missouri, took his three small children and his wife, spends all his days working on something. He's always repairing something. But without him, this hospital shuts down. Then I remember Dr. Grubbs, who left a lucrative career in Cincinnati, Ohio, and moved over to a place called uh, Mashoko Village in Zimbabwe and gave his life until he retired back to Cincinnati, giving medical care leaving a lucrative career and making nothing and giving his life away. All of those lives took a turn at one moment where their lives started to not turn out the way they had hoped. You know, the Bible says that if you're the kind of person when your life starts to take a turn that you don't like and you start to say, God has abandoned me, the Bible calls you, and I'm just going to be nice now as best I can. The Bible calls you shallow. That if every time your life takes a turn that you don't agree with, you start questioning the existence of God. God, how could you send me these neighbors? How could they move in next door? (laughs) How could you put me in this job? How could you give me this church? How could you take this from me, God? In the later years of my life, how could I end up in this situation? But if you're the type of person that when your life is altered, that you say to yourself, what is God doing here? Where's he sending me? What is he doing so that he might use me for the purposes for which I was born? And that person, the Bible calls mature, usable, and stable in all his or her ways. I have an African-American preacher friend that says it like this. When your upside goes downside, your inside comes outside. That's so good. We got to say it together. When your upside goes downside, your inside comes outside. Again, when your upside goes downside, your inside comes outside. One more time with vigor. When your upside goes downside, your inside comes outside. What's he mean? It means that when you face trouble, the real you is going to come out and everybody's going to see. Can I ask you something? What if I told you? What if I told you that if you were willing to give up everything you have, all your possessions, if you were willing to do that, and maybe there is a possibility you could lose your life But by doing that, an entire people group on planet earth would hear, receive the gospel, and their eternal lives would be changed. Would you do it? That's hard, isn't it? It depends on which kingdom you're living for. Yours or God's. There's a harder question than that, though. 
I've got in my office a little book called Compassion written by Charles Swindoll. Somebody gave it to me when I was very young and I liked it until I got to the end. Because when you're young, you're thinking, man, I'm going to be the next Jim Elliott. I'm going to change the world. Because you still think the world's about you and you just want God to help you achieve what you want to achieve so you can be famous. You still don't get it yet that it's not about you, it's about God. And God will use you, but it may not be to change the world in the way you look at it. And you come to the end of that book, Compassion, and he writes this. You know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at a women's club. You know how I effervesce when I promote a fellowship group. You know my genuine enthusiasm at a Bible study. And then he finishes by saying, but how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and asked me to wash the callous feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody knew. If God asked you to do something where nobody would ever know, nobody would ever see, but it would greatly alter eternity for someone, would you do it? Can I give you a piece of advice and then I'm going to end this? Accept your life. In fact, embrace it. If you spend your entire life trying to figure out how you got here, trying to figure out, philosophically speaking, what God caused, what God allowed, why'd your mom do this to you, why'd your dad do this, why'd your siblings treat you that, if you spend your life trying to sort all that and figure out, how did I get here, you're going to drive yourself crazy. And for many of you, it's going to be a short trip. (laughs) Accept it. Take hold of it. And if you really believe a sovereign God is able to work everything together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, then you understand that God is able to take all of that in your past, shuffle it all together, and equip you to be used by him in a way that nobody else could be used because of your past. Only a person with your past could fill the hole in this place, and that's why God has brought you here. But sooner or later, you've got to discover what that is, or you'll be looking for it your entire life. We hold closely the things of the world. We give up self-determination. Third, let's say it together. We embrace total transformation. Let's say it together. We embrace total transformation. Quickly, what does that mean? What happened when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the furnace? They go, this is so cool. They go into the furnace, all three of them, and uh, something happens in there. It's, it, 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 it's really uncanny. It, it's, it's kind of the thing, you know, I always remind us that we need uh, a makeover. Not, not, not bigger lips and, you know, more hair and all that stuff. I mean, we do need that too, some of us. But, but well, we need spiritual liposuction. And we forget how God does it, though. Because as you read the text in Daniel 3, 19 through 25, which I do not have time to do, but you can do later, you realize there were four miracles after Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the furnace. The first miracle was this. They looked around at each other and said, dudes, we're not dead. That's a miracle. The second, dudes, we're not even burned. It's not even hot in here. It feels like somebody's got the air on. Okay? Third, psst, there's a fourth guy in here. <laughs> Who, who's the dude? 
And fourth, hey, what happened to the ropes? Three times in that passage, tied up, bound up, firmly tied, the author goes out of his way to tell you that the only thing that was burned in the fire were the ropes that were binding them. That God needs the furnace of our lives to burn off that which is binding us and preventing us from being all that God intended you to be. For a lot of us, it's your addiction to self-preservation. You still think the world is all about you, so you'll do whatever you can to preserve what you think belongs to you. Or your addiction that your time is your time, that your money is your money, and that your life is your life. And for most of us, it will be a lifetime of God sending you into the furnace until you finally get it. Let him burn off this egocentrism where you would become theocentric and you would believe that the world is ultimately about God and since everything comes from him, whatever he requires, you will give willingly. We hold loosely to the things of the world. We give up self-determination. We embrace total transformation and we anticipate a Jesus revelation. Don't you find it interesting that the king looks into the furnace and he says, behold, I see four men and one looks like a son of the gods. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar didn't know anything about the son of God. He says a son of the gods. The fourth guy looks like somebody different than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, he didn't know who he was, but you and I do. We've seen him make appearances all through the Old Testament narratives. This is the pre-incarnate Christ showing up again. By the way, I'm here. That Jesus existed long before the manger. That he was with God in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Let us make man in our own image. Who's us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus has been around. He keeps making appearances in the Old Testament. And now he's here again, which reminds me that that place in your life that looks the most risky is where Jesus lives. And at that point in your life, when you're willing to do what is the antithesis of everything internally that you, you think should happen or should be, that's when Jesus shows up. Notice what happens. Here's the end result. Did they change their world? Daniel chapter 3, verse 29. Therefore, I make a decree. This is King Nebuchadnezzar. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins and there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Did they change their world? Have you ever wondered? There's, there's 10,000 people in Babylon taken into captivity and yet we're only reading about four who stood up. Four. It reminds me of what Jesus said. Broad is the gate that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life and only a few find it. Because there won't be very many that are really willing to say, God, everything I have belongs to you. There'll be very few who will say with open hands, here I am, send to me. Most will take and gather and hoard and live their lives for their own self-aggrandizement. But if we're gonna be world changers, we're only as strong as our weakest link. Where are you? Let me end with this. This is the end. This is the real end, really. A few years ago, I read a story about a guy named Bob. And Bob was befriended by a guy named Doug, whose pastor told him that everybody should invest in one life. Does that sound familiar? And Doug invested in a guy named Bob. And Bob started reading the Bible. He was intrigued by the Bible, especially a verse that said, 
Ask anything in my name and I'll give it to you. So Bob came back to Doug, his mentor, and said, is it true that you ask anything in Christ's name and it'll be given? He said, well, it's not a blank check, Bob, but if you ask anything in his will, yes, he will deliver. You pray, God will answer. And Bob said, fantastic, man. I'm going to pray for something, see what God does. He said, what are you going to pray for? I'm going to pray for Africa. Okay, maybe something more specific. Okay, I'll pray for Kenya. True story. I'll pray for, okay, pray for Kenya. Doug said, Bob, I'll tell you what, you pray for Kenya for the next 30 days. And if you pray every day for 30 days and God doesn't do something outstanding, almost miraculous, I'll give you $500. But if you pray for 30 days every day and you don't miss a day and God does do something outstanding and miraculous, then you owe me $500. Bob said, done. So Bob starts praying. A couple of weeks go by, nothing happens. And then he's at a business meeting and people around the table from other companies start introducing themselves. And there's one lady that said, I'm from Nairobi, Kenya. And Bob just pelted her with question after question, rapid fire. And finally she said, why are you asking all these questions? Do you have relatives in Kenya? He said, no. And then Bob told her about the arrangement he had with his friend, Doug. And so the lady said, well, do you want to come and see Nairobi? I mean, if you're going to pray for it, don't you think you ought to see it? So they flew him over. He got off the plane, Nairobi, Kenya. She worked at a medical clinic that was severely underfunded, under-equipped, and Bob was so overwhelmed by what he saw that he came back to the U.S. Now, let me tell you something about Bob. Bob didn't have a lot of gifts, but he had one major gift. He was the kind of guy that puts everybody in touch with somebody else that they need. He doesn't do a lot of work himself. He just had a gift of being able to connect people who need each other. You know what Bob did? He got back and he started writing every pharmaceutical company he knew. And he said, look, I know you throw away so much supplies. There's a place in Nairobi, Kenya that needs it. Would you please start sending it to me or shipping it to them? Weeks go by. He gets a phone call from this lady in Kenya. She says, Bob, what did you do? We've got supplies for Africa. I mean, no pun intended. We got all kinds of supplies, just medical supply. And the president wants to meet you. So they flew Bob back to Nairobi. He met the president. The president said, would you like a tour of the parliament? took Bob to a tour of parliament. As they're going through parliament, they went and visited some other places. Bob noticed the prison and he asked the president, he said, what's that all about? And he says, oh, those are political prisoners. And Bob said, that's a bad idea. You ought to let them go. Came back to California. A couple of weeks go by. Gets a call from the U.S. State Department. Uh, is this Bob? I'm going to give you his last name. Is this Bob? Yeah, this is Bob. Were you in Kenya recently? Yeah, I go to Kenya. Were you in Nairobi? Yeah. Did you visit parliament? Yeah, I did. Did you see some political prisoners? Yeah, yeah. What did you do? I just told him it's a bad idea. He ought to let him go. He said, Bob, we've been trying to do this at the U.S. State Department for 10 years. We just want to call and say thank you for getting these political prisoners released. <laughs> Bob, from nowhere, just took the first step. People gained their lives back. He just started to pray and one by one God opened the door. And he changed a president. Who knows if he changed the nation? Here's your call to action. I believe that God sent you here. I believe that God called me here. I believe that God's calling on my life is to permeate the St. Gabriel Valley with the love and compassion that comes from Christ. I believe that that can only be done when all of us see how our strings can be intertwined and we can be a force to be reckoned with. We may not be able to change the entire United States, but we can change our corridor, the one God has called us to. And who knows after we do that people won't come from all around the world and look, what did you do? And the answer is always going to be the same. 
nothing. God did it. He gave us all gifts, talents, and abilities, and he brought us all together. And together, there was an explosion of compassion in this valley, so much to the point that people wanted to know, what is it that makes us different? Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this powerful narrative. And I pray now in Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit would open our eyes to your truth, that life change would happen now in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Finds. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Finds wherever you listen to podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.